Blog Talk Radio. lovely intro music. It is time for drive Through HR. It is August 17th, and sitting here in the drive Through today, I am your host for today's show, Robin Schooling, and uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing the show, the show solo today. My co-host, Michael Vandervoort, uh, was unable to join me, um, and I know he's going to miss it because we are going to have a a uh, very interesting discussion today. I think um, some some interesting data, some insights um, as we talk about a survey that has been recently released. And so I'm very pleased to welcome our guest today, and that is Tammy Browning with Kelly OCG. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Robin. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So glad you're uh, you're joining us from. Uh, from your um, your studio uh, on the other side of the country, as <laughs> we were just talking about. So um, wonderful, wonderful to have you. And um, you know, I think as folks um, who have joined the show see uh, our preview of the show, we're gonna we're gonna dive into a really fascinating uh, workforce agility report that um, Kelly OCG recently released. But before we do that. Um, let me give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, and um, um, a little bit about um, about Kelly OCG as well. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for that. So, as you said, I am uh, the president of Kelly OCG, and Kelly OCG is a business unit of the Kelly Services Organization, a 75-year-old global workforce organization that has been providing human capital and finding work for people in ways that enrich their lives for so many years. We're honored to be able to have that as a pioneer and title ourselves as as an organization that really puts talent first. I uh, lead what we call our global workforce solution product, which is MSP, uh, Managed Service Provider. So as a managed mm-hmm. service provider, I provide talent to organizations any way by which they need a resource or a person to do some type of contingent or temporary labor. And I also mm-hmm. lead our RPO practice, which is full-time work, so organizations that are looking to outsource their uh, hiring processes for their full-time labor categories, so not temporary labor, actually going directly to work for the organization I've been mm-hmm. in the human capital space for 22 years and um, live, sit, and breathe and pay taxes in the state of California and uh, travel <laughs> like most of us do in this industry as a road warrior. So I travel quite a bit for, for work all around the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and how did that, um, uh, taking a pause, um, did you forget how to pack your suitcase or have you remembered? <laughs> It was a screeching halt, Robin, screeching halt. Um, in fact, I, I think that I packed my suitcase a couple of times to, uh, you know, put it on my treadmill with me just so that I could feel a little at home by, you know, walking on a yep. treadmill with my suitcase. So, yeah. Uh, and stopping, maybe, you know, for a snack uh, on your way past. 
as if you're rushing right. to the Buy- airport. Exactly. Right. Um, Buying a magazine or a pack of gum or something. Yep. <laughs> well, it's so interesting, and you know, and and um, uh, you know, I I long um, watched uh, data and information that's come out of Kelly OCG um, over the years, and and um, things that you've done within the industry. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this uh, this report that recently came out. Um, so it's the Global Workforce Agility Report for 2021. Um, and again, um, folks getting to the show from our uh, landing page will see the link to it um, so they can download the report. But but uh, tell us a little bit about the report. Who who participated? Um, when did when did you run it? When did you gather the information? Things like that. Well, the report uh, first off was a report that we had developed over a number of years. This is the first year we've done a global report. We initially started mm. doing this report out of Asia and have realized mm. the value that it brings across the organization. So this year we did, in fact, survey over 1,000 senior executives, 20% of whom were somewhere in a C-suite or an executive-level board member role, across 13 different countries in, in the three regions. So in EMEA, in North America, mm-hmm. and in APAC, or the Asia region. And in that, we found very specifically that we covered 230 senior business leaders across the countries. And just to ensure that we captured the hearts and minds and souls of the people leading these global organizations, it was really important to us to hear from them and understand what they saw coming, where they were ahead of the curve, or maybe where they were behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you used the term in the report, um, vanguards and laggards. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Right, yeah. and the vanguards, as we reference them in the report throughout, are those that are generally ahead of the curve. And the laggards are not not doing things that are of value to their organization. They're just not as ahead of the curve as Mm -hmm. the vanguards are. And what we're finding really is the vanguards are outpacing those laggards by by quite a bit and uh, Mm -hmm. love to dig into the four sort of agility, the the four workforce agility strategies that really jumped out at us from a Vanguard perspective. Yeah. And it was, yeah, uh, it, it's been, it's been really great to watch it unfold. Hmm. What, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you tell us what, what were those four areas? Yeah. So the first was, um, first off, it was really understanding workforce fluidity. And when you think about, fluidity, think about the use of temporary labor, think about how frequently organizations supplement their full-time workers with that of either outsourced work or contingent mm-hmm. labor. So that was number one. Number two was DE&I, and it was really about this diversity, equity, and inclusion and what it meant to organizations holistically. The uh, other was specifically related to employee experience, so how they feel in their jobs, and their well-being, their health, and their stability. And then finally, it was about tech adoption and understanding how technology and, and embracing technology in the workplace, uh, not just to make sure that you have a computer turned on, but truly to embrace it, make sure that the employees are productive and can do their job in a way that allows them to be mm-hmm. most productive. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, that was, uh, I think that was, um, that was something that grew for a lot of organizations. You know, I look back to last, you know, mid-March, early April, as, as all of a sudden everybody's uh, working from home. Um, and that was like the biggest immediate, um, immediate need was to get, get people connected and to be working together. It was, you know, it was necessity um, to do that. And, but I think that, you know, it went right back to that saying of, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention because I, I look back at folks I've talked to or organizations we've worked with where I see how they, um, how they started with what they needed from a work tech option um, and then just embraced it and ran with it and, and found that, that there were things that enhanced their workforce and their workplace that they had never really considered before. Um, and they were forced to, uh, kind of this forced adoption, but it, but it got people to a new, a new way of working. Um, yeah, no, no question that remote, yeah, no question that remote work is here to stay, right? It is, um, the, the pandemic has, has forced organizations that had a no work from home policy to reconsider in a big way yeah. whether or not that was the right methodology. I do think we'll see hybrid strategies. The report highlights that throughout. Um, really, what we ended up finding is that specifically here in North America, over 57% of the exec- executives say that they're going to adopt a hybrid work model. It's going to happen. Mm. The question is, how long will that last, and will it be here forever? Will we uh, mm-hmm. do as we traditionally do and have amnesia, right, where we forget? Right. And uh, based on our research, it does appear that, that that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, because one of one of the things you found in the in the in the report that you highlighted in the report um, around re- remote work was that uh, again overwhelmingly I, I I was pleased to see this I was kind of surprised um, that that employers overwhelmingly said that remote work um, had a positive impact on productivity. Um, they saw that, yeah, and they were they they said yeah we we get it. Now, um, yeah, you know, 100%, you know, following years and years of debate about the pros and cons of flexible options, the pandemic really allowed employers to see their employees in a different way and really mm-hmm. how they produced at an individual level showed that, in fact, people can work remotely and be successful. And what's even more fascinating that came out of the report is that organizations were really concerned, and the reason that flexible work environments weren't previously adopted were they were concerned about the collaborative nature of how people work together to get work done. And in fact, Mm -hmm. what the report showed is that collaboration is at an all-time high. The research shows that this is a new normal, that the future of work is really this hybrid model. There will Mm -hmm. be some... Um, understanding over time around what that means for people that choose to go back to work. Because let's be honest, not everybody enjoys a work-from-home environment. Even though they may be more productive, there are some people that actually appreciate being in front of people and being in front of, uh, you know, in a conference room with less distractions, maybe a lot of of noise, and not always have the space in their homes to work from home. But what 
we're finding is that uh, employers will need to remain flexible with their work models. It will increase their employee value propositions and their talent attraction mm-hmm. strategies in the future. And it's absolutely mm-hmm. going to um, increase uh, overall productivity over time if they've got the right strategies in place to, to manage this workforce. Yeah, yeah. What, um, what you know, and this is sort of post uh, post the report, post the survey, but what what are you hearing from from folks that you work with? What are you hearing um, from your contacts about um, those plans changing at all, or or are we just still in such an agile kind of fluctuating day to day, week to week um, of yes, we're going to open, no, we're not. Yeah, we might now go hybrid. Or that's still in flux, isn't it? For a lot of companies, it is still in flux. In fact, um, you know, if you're if you're tracking news reports in any given week, that uh, the narrative does change from week to week around mm-hmm. whether or not the hybrid model is here to stay. Uh, the big tech firms are the ones that often drive that up and down ebb and flow in the business. If you think of, you know, what some of our uh, Googles and the big tech companies out of San Francisco specifically are all saying, listen, we're going to remain hybrid forever. Yeah. That's going to drive what happens to other organizations. Then you have some roles. Uh, you know, if you think of our healthcare professionals or life and sciences uh, industries, any med device companies, they require that those that the work be done in facility, on site, in mm. areas where it's you know, clean environments. So there is always going to be a need to have physical location people on site for the roles that are required to do that. Yeah. Where we're really seeing this adoption of a long-term work from home is in those functional support roles, the back office roles, the roles that are mm-hmm. executive level that maybe are in laboratories or something of that nature mm-hmm. and outside of your uh, manufacturing environments. So those those functional roles that are really corporate support functions, we see a lot of those sustaining and retaining hybrid work. Yeah. Well, and and you know now we are um, again part of why that fluctuation is occurring is you know we're we're sitting here. Um, we thought we were going to be coming out to this post-COVID environment, and we're sort of still in the middle of it. You know, as as Delta variant and other factors are coming into play here now. So, um, kind of switching to sort of that general COVID um, feedback that you got through the survey. Um, I, you know, there was another interesting finding that one in five leaders were unsure or are unsure what their employees want in in this sort of post-pandemic workplace. Um, how how can employers get a handle on that? What what are some things that you're advising? What are some of the vanguard employers doing around that understanding? Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. As you know, this can really be attributed to some employers just not placing enough of an emphasis on the experience of their workers, mm. of their employees, mm. and really understanding what it is that the employee wants. You know, when you think about building a positive employee experience or employers taking more of a comprehensive approach that, you know, consider things like, um, you know, touch points and engagement strategies with employees, the Vanguard 
specifically, um, you know, 91% of them ranked improving the employee experience as high of a priority as improving the customer experience. So think yeah. about that. They're looking at their customer yeah. experience saying, you know, it is as important that our employees feel as engaged here at, in, in the work that they do as it is to make money as an organization and deliver products and solutions. The vanguards, um, as a percentage, in North America, 14% of them uh, have a very specific focus on customer experience and can and employee experience, and, and followed by APAC, which is 11%, and Europe, which is 7%. Vanguards are more likely than the laggards to conduct regular surveys to understand what's happening as a population in their organization, how employees are working, and they're really actually putting initiatives and strategies around what is coming out of their survey. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about, you know, this next generation, Robin, I think what's really scary is what we're seeing now is more demand in jobs available than there are candidates or workers out there. Right. And what we're really seeing is employee experience is so incredibly important right now because the bulk of our population, our workforce today is the millennial group. And our mm -hmm. research is finds that only 32% of the millennials are even engaged in the current job that they have. So think about wow. that if, if you've got this demand that's significantly greater than it was before, your workforce is potentially only 32% engaged. We have mm -hmm. what could be in the future a massive resignation of employees. And so while you're trying to hire everybody, you could be losing those really well skilled people out the back door. So it's so important yeah. that employee experience be top of mind yeah. for organizations. Well, and, and what's interesting to me, I had a conversation with an employer branding um, friend the other week, um, and, and she found that the work she's doing is becoming much more holistic now. Again, somewhat out of necessity. It always should have been this way, but it, it's um, – it, 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 it's becoming much more all-encompassing because there used to be, and there still are, you know, quite often there's a, there's silos, right? You're, oh, you've got your employer branding people over here spinning a tale of come work for us because it's all about talent attraction. And, and then you've got, you know, the, okay, here's the employee experience, which is handled internally, right? And sometimes the two stories don't match and the, and the, the experiences don't match. And so what she's found is with some companies that she's working with, um, she's being brought in, hallelujah, um, as, the, as the talent attraction branding specialist. She's being brought in to make sure there's cohesion between um, the actual, you know, employee experience. What's the, what's the HR team working on um, around, in, you know, culture and engagement and, and what is happening with existing employees. So there's that realization, I think, um, that these, these things are all connected and, and it's more critical than ever, really, I think. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't be more right. You know, employers yeah. that are embracing individuality, diversity, inclusion. Yeah. You know, DE&I was a uh, – jumped out um, off the page in the report in terms of it being yeah. so important and – you're spot on that there's an interconnectivity between uh, employee fluidity, employee engagement, and DE&I strategies. 
And people now more than ever want to be able to have purpose. They want to be able to connect what they do every day in their work to the value that it brings to the world. And I think the pandemic, while if there are some silver linings, it's given us the opportunity to have conversations that we would not have otherwise been having. Um, and mm-hmm. particularly adding on top of that, the social unrest in North America that has driven us to really consider much more, um, you know, of a focus around diversity, equity, and inclusion as an organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's kind of talk about that for a minute because obviously that was another, um, you know, sort of one of, one of those four key areas of the report um, was, was DE&I and, and um, what organizations are doing or focusing on. And one of the findings that somewhat shocked me was that less than half of the business leaders um, in the report said that they have a, a DE&I strategy. Um, why, why do you think that is? I, I would have thought it would have been higher because of, as you said, sort of what we've collectively learned um, or gone through this last several years. You know, it's uh, interesting, having been in the human capital space for 22 years, we, you know, diversity was um, always top of mind. So I think what's probably shocking you, and particularly in an HR role, you probably have always thought to yourself, we've had diversity strategies. I don't understand right. why is it that so many say, this, is, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. And what, what the reason for that is, is when you really look at diversity around what used to be the focus area, which was driving diversity spend through diversity-owned companies, diversity initiatives, diversity strategies, it was really less about the talent and is there the right diversity and mix and talent. And as a result of that diversity, mix, and talent, is there the right equity programs? Is there the right engagement yeah. strategies? And are there, the, are there um, initiatives that drive DE&I? So some of the most savvy organizations know that diversity makes good business sense. It's, it's common sense. It makes good business sense. But the data still shows that companies are just not there yet, and they don't know how to deploy these strategies. Globally, there are a number of companies that say their DE&I strategy is, is um, you know, very one-sided, isn't um, holistic yeah. or doesn't capture the right audiences. And so for many companies, contingent workers are an important part of their workforce planning strategies, and they don't even consider contingent workers as part of their DE&I. And what we saw was that it, throughout our reports, it's so incredibly important that we look holistically at the talent that we engage in our corporations and our companies that do the work for us, and we remove those barriers to a temporary employee being involved in DEI strategies or mm-hmm. really making sure that we're embracing our full-time workers to understand that they they want to be in part of affinity groups, um, projects mm-hmm. that engage diversity, equity, and inclusion, consider um, how the employee experience can drive DEI. And people want to put their stamp on something. They want to be part mm-hmm. of something that drives these strategies. So, so enable that and create an open forum for this type of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know I still see so much hesitancy. Um, you know, when you think of it in the traditional HR way, 
of, you know, we have to have this, uh, these barriers within our organization between, you know, oh, well, there, there's an employee, there's a contractor, oh, they're contingent, and oh, well, you know, oh, well, no, they can't, you know, it started with the old school way of, oh, I don't even want to invite them to the picnic, right? Talk about old school HR thinking. Um, these people yeah. come and work side by side with with everybody every day, but because their paycheck is coming from XYZ company, um, I you know, uh, I'm not going to invite them to the picnic. And, you know, so we uh, collectively kind of um, as, as HR Sally's um, concerned with, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, compliance, um, kind of went down this path of exclusion rather than inclusion and and kind of created that which we're trying to overcome now, I think, when, when we talk about inclusion and belonging um, of everybody who's contributing to the success of a company. So... Yeah, I think organizations that have committed to diverse workforce through both contingent and permanent, if you think about it, you know, for the many, many years that uh, I've been in this business, I see so many companies use contingent labor as their Mm -hmm. entry point for their full-time work. The conversion statistics are high. So when you think about that, this workforce is potentially going to work for you why do we treat them in segregation? Why do we treat them very differently? Differently. This past year, well, I get co-employment and all these things, but the, with the right, right partner and the right strategy, you can mitigate much of that risk. And I think this past right. year has really put, you know, sort of race, gender, socioeconomic, diversity, uh, temporary labor, all of that has really been pushed to the wayside, and it's really been much mm-hmm. more around help us understand how we create a stronger DE&I strategy and make it a top business priority where we set expectations, we set goals, we set, set strategic initiatives, and we hold ourselves as organizations accountable to meet those goals and achieve them. But we don't do that in a vacuum. We do it as a uh, in conjunction with the talent that works for us because they really want to have their stamp on the, on the messaging around DE&I. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so lots of opportunities. I prefer to look at it as opportunities and not problems, I guess. <laughs> um, Me too. One, um, one, final, um, one final area I'd like to kind of dive into is um, talking about um, skills gaps, because there was yet another finding, um, uh, you know, that was captured in the report, is that, you know, leaders, of course, as always, I think I've seen this on every survey for you know, the last 30 years, um, leaders are mindful of talent. And, um, you know, we need to, uh, we need to have the right, right people on board to, you know, meet our objectives, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you found in, 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 this, um, in this report that 22% um, of the leaders surveyed said that their current workforce has skills gaps that they don't know how to fill. Um, so I guess a couple questions with that. Did you did you see that across um, across industries, across types of jobs, um, and and you know what what are some of those vanguards doing to kind of address that? What are some tips? I guess we can learn from them. Yeah, you know we are seeing skill gaps um, across many skill sets. I, it is actually industry agnostic. So the skill gaps is across the world. 
But yeah. what we're seeing is, in particular, um, that the labor categories of the talent entering into the workforce today, so uh, skill gaps around uh, entering into what we call sort of that mid-level tech job to manufacturing, some type of light industrial, potentially uh, entry-level engineering roles, entry-level science roles, and so on, where we're really trying to get that talent to the next level. There's this disparity between the entry-level job and people coming right out of college and being able to then perform the work. What we're finding is that um, major skill gaps in North America are actually starting not just in, as a result of the, the pandemic um, itself, but also as a result of of some of the stimulus packages and other things. So we are seeing light industrial yeah. talent is, is scarce. We're seeing manufacturing yeah. very difficult to fill. You're probably experiencing things like slower service times in restaurants because, you know, the restaurant uh, industry has been hit hard. The hospitality industry has been hit hard. Mm -hmm. And so there are some skill gaps, but I think what the other skill gap that we're, that we're also referencing and what the vanguards have really showed us is that, there's a gap between leading an organization in today's environment versus leading an organization in the prior environment. So even at the manager level, being able to train, coach, and educate people on how mm -hmm. to lead a remote workforce, how to keep people mm -hmm. engaged in their jobs, how to manage long-term work production from employees with it, without physically seeing them face-to-face, Training is incredibly important for companies to be able to bring their, their leadership to the level that they need to to be able to address some of the other gaps that the report identified. And the vanguards yeah. are, are identifying that. They're seeing if we are not careful and don't consider exposing these skill gaps and understanding what training is necessary for all levels of the organization, then, then they will, in fact, have productivity issues, which ultimately will become the issues that we already discussed, which is employee engagement, lack of productivity, yes. lack of customer service, and then, of course, lack, loss of business. So yeah. upskilling people are incredible. And we can't forget now that the future of work statement pre-pandemic meant that the, that the world was going to be, you know, taken over by um, artificial intelligence and all right. sorts of other things. And, in fact, that, that is still likely going to be the case, not to maybe the degree we all thought it would. There is still this need to not forget that we are, in fact, becoming a more technology-based world, and there mm -hmm. is a gap in talent that understand how to work in those environments. And we have to, as employers, bring them along, and we have mm -hmm. to invest in our talent. It's just so in mm -hmm. incredibly important that we upskill, we reskill, we you know send people to courseware that gives them the skill that we need because they're mm -hmm. not going to come in off streets with these skills. They're just not. Yep. 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 That is um, that's a great lesson for everybody. Everybody to leave this show with, I think. Um, we are we are just about here at the end and want to wrap up our show. I I want to thank uh, our guest uh, Pammy Browning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Excellent um, information. I encourage everyone to go and download the um, Global Workforce Agility um, Report that Kelly OCG has put out. And um, so Tammy, uh, before we play our outro music. Um, 
how about sharing with everyone where they can connect with you online or connect with Kelly OCG online? Yeah, absolutely. A couple ways. So first, you can find me on LinkedIn, and it is just Tammy Browning. And if you put in President OCG, I'll be the only one that will show up, which is good news. <laughs> good news. Uh, the second one is if you go to our website, which is www.kellyocg.com, you can also find me and my team there, those that are in the trenches every day doing the work and meeting with, you know, over uh, four to 500 companies every day and engaging in their workforce challenges. So a wealth of knowledge from the report from the Workforce Agility Report, but also just from our overall years and years and years of experience in the industry. So always happy to connect. Yeah. Yep, wonderful. Well, uh, great show. Good way, to, good way to hit the midpoint in August. Uh, again, thank you so much, Tammy, for joining us. And thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Robin.